Yeah, so uh, good evening and thank you so much for joining. Uh, my name is Justa. I'm a senior lecturer at Nottingham uh, Business School, Nottingham Trent University. This uh, podcast is um, an opportunity for us to discuss with experts and um, academics all over the world on issues affecting uh, the global situation today we'll be looking at um, energy crisis, global energy mm. crisis. And I have with me Professor Subis. Uh, Professor Subis used to be the director of Institute of Energy and Sustainable Development at the Montford University, and now has joined Suri. So uh, I don't have much detail, so I'll allow Subis <laughs> to introduce himself <laughs> with a new, a new position. <laughs> yeah, the new role is, um... Professor of Net Zero Carbon Energy Systems. So, so that's the role. I have joined the Center for Environment and Sustainability. Um, and uh, this, this is a group which is part of their Faculty of Engineering um, and Science, so uh, Physical Sciences. Within that, this is a group which is working mainly on the um, policy side of energy issues, both uh, in the UK as well as in developing countries. So my role would be to uh, promote and uh, undertake research, mainly research activities in uh, net zero. Um, And SARE has committed itself to become uh, net zero university by 2030. So that is a big, big emphasis on net zero issues in the university and also in um, this this town itself, Surrey County. So okay. the Surrey, Surrey uh, Guilford uh, County Council and other Surrey um, County Councils, they are committed as well to achieving net zero and sustainable development goals. So, mm-hmm. so that aligns my activities in um, DMU and in Leicester uh, with the activities that I'll be doing now. So, so it's um, with a bigger focus on net zero and sustainable development activities. Okay, that's really interesting. So, uh, some kind of uh, multifaceted rules mm-hmm. in that because you'll be working with maybe helping mm-hmm. the university itself on yeah. its roadmap of becoming net mm-hmm. zero. Mm-hmm. And then the research side of it and policy side of it all put together. Yeah, uh, that's a lot. Uh, I think you're going to need some helping hands from some other people too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, we, we, we will. We'll, yeah, we work no, on that. Yeah, it will be a group activity. It's not just only. Yeah, one yeah. Well, I see. Yeah. yeah. So that there will be uh, a mm, overall uh, focus on these activities through the. Um, senior management team as well. So the vice chancellor is very committed to sustainability and net zero. And uh, that's why I think it's um, it's kind of interesting challenge that, that they are taking up. And uh, so that's why I have uh, decided to move from here to there and see how I can perhaps contribute to that process. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Thank you so much and uh, congratulations for, for that new experience to come <laughs> in a way. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So, okay, for today, I want to quickly talk about uh, your uh, global energy crisis. Mm -hmm. You are familiar with that. You are an expert in global energy analysis. Uh, so uh, we are all aware that in the UK, bills will go up. Uh, that is just for the UK. Globally, bills are uh, going up. Uh, mm -hmm. Before the Russia-Ukraine crisis in America, uh, of course, the crisis has already started about all of this. Uh, in the global south, it's about mm -hmm. the same. And the, the, the mystical thing or mysterious thing about it is that even countries that have energy in abundance are still going through energy crisis. So my first question to you would be, what do you think are the causes of this uh, energy crisis generally? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the energy crisis generally is um, often it's related to the supply and demand imbalances. So often that is the main factor. Um, what happened is uh, during COVID, the demand of energy that fell very significantly. Okay. Uh, and so there was... Um, People are working differently, so they started to use less energy and industry, industrial activities are cut down. So every country faced a significant reduction in, the, um, in their demand. And as a result, the suppliers had to kind of uh, adjust, uh, accommodate that reduction, sudden reduction in the demand. Now, after the COVID, um, uh, the economies are trying out to come out of the COVID situation, COVID pandemic. Economies have started to demand more energy. Mm -hmm. so, so that's one aspect of it because as the countries are um, trying to demand more, uh, so the activities are becoming kind of going, getting back to the normal way of life. Uh, so the demand uh, is growing. And as a result, there is this pressure again, building up. So that's that's one part of the problem, um, and then the there are always these uh, geopolitical concerns. So geopolitical issues are uh, creating this troubles. So there is there was Afghanistan issue before, then uh, Middle East and instability in some of the Middle Eastern countries. So that continues. So uh, lack of uh, again. Mm, uh, either political stability or uh, uh, issues related to the supply that creates again that enhances the imbalance. So that is one. And then there was the other aspect which uh, was related to climate again. Mm -hmm. So what happened is uh, countries which were uh, moving towards more renewable energy, particularly wind, they also noticed that um wind was wind energy was less coming in the last year so there was a less uh, uh, amount of wind energy generated because of calm conditions so mm -hmm. the wind was not blowing much and as a result of that even if you have got investments in the wind and energy generation um they didn't generate much, contribute much to the overall uh, outcome. And as a result of that, uh, so the dependence on fossil fossil fuels that started to increase as well. Mm. So um, a number of all, all these things combined together and then um, this creates the pressure on the supply and demand side. And as a result of that, uh, this crisis has, uh, has 
uh, come up actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for for that. Just a quick follow up question with this. Um, you know, post pandemic uh, pressure on energy demand globally. Uh, do you foresee or think that if that uh, pressure is reduced with time, that means if we go through the curve of normalization, do you think energy prices will come down or will go back to what it used to be? Yeah, it, it, it's, it always happens like that. When there is a significant crisis, there would always be a fall. So when it, whatever goes up will come down. Okay. So, so, so that will happen. But again, what happens is uh, in the interim period, when mm. the prices are very high, then that creates uh, significant economic um, imbalances and uh, pressures, particularly on certain sections of the population, particularly yeah. those, those who are uh, uh, economically deprived, they tend to have a very significant adverse impacts. Yeah. And that's where the problem comes that unless there is a protection, uh, protective measure, you have got some kind of a uh, safety net, then these, uh, these, these people, they will suffer a lot. And that can happen both in, uh, in a developing country as well as in developed country. Mm. Because uh, luckily the, the pressures uh, like winter is, was less harsh this year. So uh, hopefully maybe if there is no more um, bad winter, where they're coming over the next one or two months, then uh, at least the heating demand would be less uh, um, less for the the uh, northern hemisphere countries. But um, then, so that they might get some kind of a respite or breathing space till the next winter comes. Hmm. But again, uh, that may not be the case in the developing countries where um, the summer is more uh, energy consuming. So in summer periods, people tend to have more demand. And if there is imbalance between uh, supply and demand and prices are going up, there might be people who may not be able to afford that. And uh, so they might suffer the consequences during hot summer weather conditions as well. Mm -hmm. And then the utilities may not be able to provide the service because they may not, it kind of, can create a, a vicious circle there. Um, yeah. and pay payments are not made, so the suppliers won't be able to supply, and all of that continues. Continuous vicious circle can create a bad uh, problem uh, of meeting the ends. So, so, and that could lead to a significant, substantial crisis as well. Yeah, and it's uh, okay. Thank you for that clarification. In, in that regard. So um, next thing to ask, it happened like um, the energy crisis was a surprise. So many people seem to uh, not to have expected it to happen. Do you think it's really a surprise or a predictable surprise kind of? This is, I think there is there was a bit of a complacence uh, yeah. on, on the part of different uh, stakeholders. Yeah. The utilities and the companies, energy companies, um, they were perhaps expecting, yeah, this kind of uh, poor conditions would continue. But uh, if you if you see the history, you would see that um, whenever there was any significant period of low prices, yeah. that is 
uh, again, ending up with a big rise in prices. And this is, again, uh, this period is uh, supporting that kind of a claim that it's kind of a cyclic process yeah. where it comes back. And um, we have had large high hikes in prices a few years ago, but again, uh, because of very significant uh, uh, switch overs to uh, renewable energies and declarations by countries that they were moving towards net zero. So um, there was investments in those areas. And as a result, people are thinking, okay, this is the end of the era for fossil fuels. But that's too early to think about. Uh, it's the fossil fuel is still playing uh, a share of more than 80% of the overall energy, global energy demand. And this is likely to continue even for some more time. So um, unless we, we are making very significant dramatic uh, inroads into alternative um, and secure supply sources, this is uh, this should have been kind of predictable one. Mm. Okay, uh, thank you again for that. Uh, my next question will be just to add a little bit of it. Do you think now or you're bouncing back um, for economies that depend solely on or reasonably maybe ninety to eighty percent on oil? Do you think or this fossil energy is an they are an advantage at this time? Um, it's um, it maybe for a short period of time. Yes, they uh, they will have. Uh, I think what they, they faced was uh, sudden change in the prices earlier. Uh, so for a prolonged period of time, they were facing significant uh, financial crisis. Yes. So 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 now with the revenues coming, uh, they will feel a little bit uh, less stressed in terms of finance. So so that would ease the challenges um, all the oil producers, gas producers, fossil fuel producers, they were facing. Mm -hmm. um, even, even coal. Coal demand has grown very, very significantly. Uh, and coal uh, is bouncing back. So, so um, uh, and well, that often happens, <laughs> often happens when oil prices go up, uh, gas prices will go up, and um, coal price will also go up. So, so every, all these fossil fuel generators, producers, they are uh, enjoying the extra profit at the moment, yeah. uh, whether it is a private company, national company, all of them yeah, will face that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for, coal, for uh, coal, for instance, I've got the hits back in uh, up 26 last um, last uh, three months or so. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if countries will want to risk it, uh, will go ahead with coal production. It, that That is the thing, like, again, uh, whenever there is a crisis and the security of supply issue becomes an important concern for uh, resource dependent countries. So those who are importing and, and uh, they are dependent on others for their own resources. So in those cases, the people tend to uh, prioritize their security of supply over other issues. And, and as a result, uh, even countries like Germany, they they have started to think about uh, reusing coal resources. So if Germany can do it, other countries also can do it. Uh, and that's where the issue comes. Mm. Um, uh, yes, from the climate change net zero perspective, uh, 
using reusing coal or opening coal uh, businesses that's going to be um, having a significant negative impact um, but um, uh, often decisions are not made only from an one one perspective or one angle yeah. and that's where the, where the problem comes because um, again uh, in the early and, and this 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 discussion and debate about security and all they are coming coming back going out mm -hmm. of phase and then again coming back and this is kind of a a, a predictable uh, process as well yeah. uh, whenever nobody nobody could deny that the the uh, dependence on on gas particularly from russia and from from the uh, other countries in in the european market that has been known for decades yeah and 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 that dependence has not changed much mm -hmm. only thing that has changed is uh, the dependence of uh, us on imported fossil fuels because they they became more or less uh, self-sufficient particularly after the fracking and uh, shale oil shale gas yeah. but uh, and and uh, they continued with that whereas so there are some reallocation of of those supplies to other countries other destinations and mm -hmm. that was a painful process for the industry also yeah. now now with this conflict again people are starting to think okay what can be done and this security of supply issue will become uh, will receive their attention mm -hmm. but there is no uh, nothing that can be done perhaps very quickly or immediately to resolve that problem because everything, every investment process that would take time. Yeah, it does take time. Uh, uh, and uh, it requires thinking, it, uh, yeah. planning, planning ahead. And uh, so almost 20 years were, were wasted uh, because uh, this debate about uh, oil and gas speaking, and then uh, there is a shortage of supply that dialogue has almost vanished but there could be other threats that could endanger the supply that was kind of uh, not properly considered and, and that's yeah. why i think the problem comes i see i see uh yeah you mentioned russia and that was going to lead to my next question about Nord stream 2 mm -hmm. and the current um the current crisis and how what could be the implication of that now for EU for US, US notwithstanding, you said they, they discover shale gas, they were mm. monetizing shale gas, but they're still dependent on uh, a reasonable percentage on Russia's oil uh, up yeah. until now. Yeah. So yeah. we have these three players in there, you EU, main EU, US and UK. So going forward, what do you foresee? I know you've talked about some things, but in this particular case, they're going to, uh, they are, you know, freezing assets, stopping yeah. the Nord Stream 2 uh, construction from going on. Uh, do you think the UK or these other countries that depend on Russia are really, really positioned uh, to become sufficient in the midterm or uh, the immediate time? In terms of um, yeah, oil supply, um, the Russian oil, if it is, uh, it is not coming, there could be others, other countries and um, there is this dialogue between Iran and the European Union. So once that um, uh, flow from Iran starts, it could- but, uh, be... if, 
Iran, Iran is still under under a lot of sanctions. From yeah, yeah, it's still under sanction, <laughs> but that could be. Um, They're going to go to the back door. No, no, that not not to the back door. But I think there is a discussion. Some agreements going uh, likely to happen between or might have happened with the EU and their nuclear. Um, uh, security nuclear facilities. So that could lift the sanctions. And as a result, Iranian oil could come, come on, onto the market. Um, and then there is always the possibility of other uh, oil, large oil producers uh, increasing their um, supply so that uh, the shortfall perhaps could be met. Although again, it might be might be a good strategy strategy on the part of OPEC not to do that, yep. because then that would maintain the high price and they will benefit, and there will be pressure on OPEC to do that at the moment because mm -hmm. uh, members have suffered for a long period of time with yep. low low oil price. So that I think could happen. Uh, so yeah, oil is um, at least there is some flexibility, but for gas. Yeah. Um, I think the dependence will continue because that's why they are not, not not many countries are considering blocking the gas supply or sanctioning yeah. the gas supply because yeah. they are they know that they can't survive. <laughs> so <All right>. it's, <laughs> you can see the can. yeah it's 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 a political decision, but again yeah. it's a, it's a uh, yeah they are they're considering the realistic impact on. Mm -hmm. So because realism is prevailing over all the political rhetoric. Yes, yes, I think that that's really. Yeah, you just mentioned uh, the OPEC guys. So you think at this point, uh, OPEC will become another giant uh, in terms of negotiation and it, all its members mm. in between. Yeah, I think, I think uh, again, um, uh, indirectly, that was the kind of... Uh, influence they, they were trying to have because yeah. the uh, it's always in the interest of the members that uh, a reasonable price is achieved mm. but if it reaches a higher level um, uh, that at the moment I think nobody will oppose from their um, membership because um, that would generate some additional um, money transfer to them yeah. uh, which uh, could ease the financial stress that they have faced for several years. So, so that's likely to continue for some time. But again, um, after the the crisis uh, kind of gets over, perhaps there would be again um, reconsideration of the sanctions and um, some amount of uh, of oil and gas from. Some amount of oil from Russia perhaps would enter into the market also. Yeah. Well, there are still other places to look at. There's still there's still oil somewhere in large quantity in the Niger Delta, for instance, yeah, yeah. all across to um uh, all across to Ghana, uh, mm -hmm. to Libya as mm -hmm. well. That they could they could they could also uh, scamper. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh that's fine. Now let's look at um the quick question I wanted to ask you was um Okay, when I get get back to that, uh, I'll be able to, to ask. Okay, the question is, where do you see the price of a barrel of oil uh, by the end of this year? Oh, uh, that, that, that's it. <laughs> it's always a tricky question. I, I, I don't want to put a number there because uh, you, you are always likely to be um, wrong. So, so it's, 
<laughs> lots of things can happen in from now to the end of the year yeah. Uh, so yeah i i would expect that uh, it it won't hit 10 dollars a barrel that perhaps is is likely to happen uh, it would maintain a good um, range maybe uh, mid range uh, 50 60 60 17 that range not not less than that yeah but at uh, the moment is uh, it's about 100 or more so if yeah it yeah gets, yeah. Uh, it yeah it will perhaps uh, ease out uh, after yeah. some time uh, so it won't perhaps stay at that high level unless there is a further crisis yeah so again crisis can happen both in terms of supplier um issues so suppliers yeah. power finding industrial issues because yeah, prices yeah, yeah. are going up and all sorts of things happening so so there might be sabotages and all of that exactly, so that could yeah. that could reduce the availability of supply and then the, mm -hmm. it could increase the prices yeah. but otherwise if if uh, the crisis in ukraine and russia between russia and ukraine that is sorted quickly um the prices would start to ease uh, but uh, i don't expect it to to fall to a level of uh, like very low level $5, $10 a barrel uh, in the near future. <laughs> okay, that's that's mm -hmm. all right. So we'll keep it at that and watch out uh, the behavior in the in the market. Mm -hmm. uh, looking at the UK in particular, now UK is no longer in the EU. So decisions between the two countries on how they approach energy prices and uh, purchase demand and supply is different. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you think the UK um, is far more vulnerable? Um, it's uh, it need not be far more vulnerable as such because um, being outside the uh, European bloc, they have now the ability to negotiate with other suppliers as as appropriate. And I think uh, as long as the um, for for gas gasification uh, plants are operating and the pipelines are operating so it they, they the european union won't be preventing gas coming through the european pipelines so i don't i don't think that's uh, that's likely to happen yeah. so so the supply from norway and supply uh, from uh, maybe any, anything that, that can come from uh, Netherlands or, or Algeria, uh, that could, uh, that won't be affected as such. Whereas the, the potential for um, uh, contracting more gas from Qatar or other countries uh, and, and allowing, because of the, the market here, markets uh, which are offering, which could offer a slightly better remuneration for um, the gas suppliers. So uh, diversion from other markets to UK market could also be possible. Okay. So uh, overall, I don't think um, there is that, um, yeah, it, it's it's more vulnerable as such. Uh, and and uh, there is still some gas uh, left in the North Sea for mm -hmm. the, uh, and also oil for, for the UK. So higher prices could always uh, allow those uh, resources to be tapped yeah okay um talking about energy uh self-sufficiency now joe biden is saying come they they were uh the china sorry uh, russia's behavior at this point in time and their reliance on russia's energy 
uh, now means that the uh, the US will need to become energy efficient. It's a new core now for them to become self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I assume that is also going yeah. to cascade around. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, right. For, yeah, for different yeah. for different countries, uh, mm -hmm. that looking at the looking at you um, the UK again. What do you think is um, energy potentials in here if we want to become uh, self-sufficient? Yeah, so so improving energy efficiency is one of the uh, easiest ways of reducing the demand. And, and there are significant opportunities there because uh, um, I, 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 it's, a, it's a personal experience. Mm. Um, I get... My relative uh, supplier is uh, Octopus. So okay. Octopus was um, um, running a competition um, over the last three months or so, yeah. highlighting how, how much gas consumption, particularly on gas this time, so how much gas you can save. And over that three-month period, compared to normal consumption, uh, I, uh, my household, we have saved about 20% uh, of gas. Okay. More than 20%. I think uh, the statement have sent, I think it's 20 to 25% around something like that. So it's uh, over the three month period, which is peak uh, winter time, yeah. we could manage to do that yeah. by making some adjustments. And, and that uh, is a good amount of money. Yeah, yeah. So you, you could save, uh, if you can save by say doing normal activities, adjusting your thermostat, uh, setting your boiler temperature, uh, not at 70 degrees or 75 degrees, but at 55 degrees, um, you, you won't make, uh, it won't make any significant difference in terms of your comfort level, yeah. but you, you can reduce your bills. And, yeah. and that I think is something uh, we need to promote very widely throughout okay. the UK yeah. and uh, and similarly for electricity as well electricity prices are going up so electricity consumption can be uh, again made uh, saving can be made very significantly there yeah. and I think one thing that um, I, I, I should mention here is the use of the smart meters the smart meter is being rolled out yeah in the UK, and that has mm -hmm. become a priority, and it is a priority. But uh, the usage of data from smart meters to manipulate and to adjust the com consumption behavior, that has not uh, taken up. That has that remained very kind of a low level activity. I think we need to start uh, promoting that. And, the, and there is a role for the regulators here as well. Uh, the UK regulators, I think they have been kind of quite passive, hands-off approach uh, in their uh, in their dealing, yeah. which, uh, which uh, I, I don't think is really influencing um, the market uh, operations. Yeah. Uh, why, why can't you encourage? You have got smart meters which can um, record your consumption every 10 seconds. Yeah. or 15 seconds, 30 seconds. So, so that facility should be used and all the suppliers should be encouraged to provide dynamic pricing. Yeah. yeah. So if, you, if, you, if you can uh, see the price changes, 
people would then start changing their consumption behavior accordingly. But yeah. in most cases, that's not done. So, so like now, and and I I I had my smart meter installed long ago. I think five six years ago. And then when I switched from one supplier to another supplier, the new supplier could not use that smart meter because they they were not able to uh, read the data. Now, when Octopus came up, they have started to use my old installed uh, meter. And now I can see uh, like on a real time basis, what is the price and what is the consumption? So yeah, you, you can change your consumption pattern and, and uh, adjust your demand and you can make money. And that's what I think is, is required for a uh, significant uh, improvement in terms of the consumption behavior. Okay, uh, thank you so much for, for that. Uh, quickly, so that we round up is um, the UK's renewable or alternative energy potentials, maybe as a means to dealing with this, what do you think? Do they have, you think, uh, their potentials to tap in from wind, solar, geothermal? Yeah, you know, that, that uh, country has significant potential that is there. Um, and uh, solar potential is, is um, uh, maybe not that much because of the conditions of the um, location. Yeah. But again, um, prices are coming down in terms of solar panels. So that way uh, having more capacity would generate um, uh, additional resource as well. Uh, what, what I think a combination of technologies would be required. Yeah. So combination of solar, um, wind, biomass, biomass could play waste, waste to energy that is has got a significant potential as well. And then um, uh, ground source resources. So ground source heat, heat yeah, um, yeah. and air source heat, they can, uh, they will play some role there. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fine. I think at this point in time, like um, Joe Biden is saying, every country will need to reassess its domestic natural mm -hmm. energy potential to be able to see how they decouple themselves from the other uh, other economies that might be threatening them. Uh, but then that's that's another threat to hmm. those economies that depend on oil uh, yeah, yeah, their own yeah. survival. If everybody becomes self-sufficient, then <laughs> it becomes dangerous for such economies, isn't it? Um, it's this 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 kind of uh, discussion debate has been continuing for last 50, 60 years. So um, cutting off trade, I don't think that's the best way to. Um, promote an alternative uh, source of energy and, and, and energy security. Now, um, even, even in terms of um, alternative resources, not all countries have got the same potential. So there would again be some sort of um, uh, potential for uh, sharing the resources. And uh, you, you cannot just say that, okay, we will, uh, will not trade any energy with other countries, whereas we will trade your uh, other goods and services. Now, whatever goods and services that you are getting from, from another country, there is that uh, embedded energy component there. So through that process also you are um, buying and uh, you are contributing to the uh, dependence to some extent. So uh, you cannot say that, okay, every country would become 
fully self-sufficient in all respects. That that is like unlikely to happen and materialize. So, so um, dependence, interdependence. I think we have to ensure what we have to start thinking of is um, how all the countries could work together. I think that's the um, main objective of the Sustainable Development Goals, leaving no one behind. And uh, if that motto is taken up seriously, we don't leave anyone behind. And we try to uh, encourage everybody to kind of reach a certain uh, quality of life, then uh, we might be able to uh, even create better conditions for peace. And, and, and in that situation, you won't uh, worry too much about having fights with others or disruptions of supply there. You, you are muted. Yeah. yeah, yeah. thank you so much for, for that again. Uh, two questions before we close. Uh, the, uh, second to the last question will be, for how long do you think fossil energy will remain with us? The next 10 years, 20 years? Oliver, what do you think? Oh, oh no, no. Fossil, <laughs> fossil energies will remain with us for a long period of time. Yeah. And I, I, again, again, I don't think uh, they will run out, but we might be uh, able to um, move towards alternatives yeah. and, um, uh, and reduce or use them, use the fossil fuels with moderation, mm -hmm. and that could still reach us the the objective of net zero, reaching, yeah. reaching the climate stability, yeah. and and uh, still maintain a uh, balance. Yeah, I think so. If if at the moment, uh, let's say researchers or anybody who is taking uh, data begin to plot the graph of renewable and fossil, it probably means that renewable will be will be growing and fossil will be declining until at a point where there is equilibrium in terms of production and consumption. And if technologies for, uh, let's say carbon capture, for instance, are also there, then it could come a time when fossil will run parallel, parallel with, uh, uh, with yeah. alternative renewables. Yeah, some amount of fossil fuels, so will uh, con will continue in for a long period of time. So yeah. I, I, I don't foresee, particularly depending on, on the country context, in each country yeah. it would be different. Yeah. So, so those countries who are highly dependent on coal, yeah. they, I don't think they will be abandoning coal in next five years, 10 years time, no. They yeah, will. Those who attended the, the COP26 were pledging that, look, we are going to abandon. So Joe Biden, for instance, said they are not going to uh, explore coal anymore in the US. Yeah. but. Uh, in the US, um, coal dependence has come down quite significantly, but countries like Australia, China, yeah. Indonesia, India, um, they are not going to abandon coal in next five, 10 years time. I, yeah. I, that, that's unlikely to happen. Mm -hmm. So you have to be realistic. But again, again, yeah, if, we, if we can have um, uh, carbon capture yeah. or um say uh, uh, maybe capture of of emissions through some means yeah it's not not through directly through the carbon capture technology but maybe uh, through regeneration of biomass and uh, plantation and that kind of thing so it it can increase the uptake of 
kind of create a carbon sink. Yeah. So so that could also support. So yeah, it, there are uh, possibilities, and countries would try to capture it in different ways. So I don't think that's there's only one way of reaching uh, that objective of uh, stabilizing the, the climate. It would yeah. be a uh, local specific feature and yeah. each country would try and find out its own way of reaching there. Okay, that's uh, very interesting. Uh, thank you again for, for that last question before we go. You mentioned that yes, um, the oil is not going to, to run out. Um, contrary to what a uh, long time ago the Prince of Saudi said that uh, um, that the world ran out of stones, not because they were no longer stones, mm -hmm. they ran out of the stone age. Uh, so th that prediction was that we're going to run out of oil, not necessarily because there won't be no oil anywhere. So do you think that oil will become like um, a backup plan? The guys will just keep it there and say, okay, let's keep it. We are net zero. We're not using coal. Uh, but in terms of when crisis come, then they could resort to either coal, resort to any fossil like crude oil. You think that's what is going to happen? <laughs> It's it's possible. It's possible that um, yeah, if, if resources are there, if technologies are there, uh, then people might fall back on those kind of resources. But again, as I'm saying, that the the uh, reduction in uh, some of these fossil fuel utilization, um, although there are uh, expectations that they, they will have a dramatic reduction over time in the next, depending on how the countries achieve their net zero targets. Um, the resources are uh, likely to be available for further exploitation in the future. Um, and in what form and whether there would be further technologies to improve um, the utilization and maybe exploit them in a um, more environment friendly way that we don't know so yeah. those options technological innovation might change uh, and and bring new dynamics yeah. and this is this is what i think is um, is important to keep in mind that uh, whatever we think that will be the uh, future path uh, and whatever the consensus path is mm -hmm. that often does not turn out to be correct yeah. So, so uh, yeah, all, if all the studies are saying is decarbonization of transport will happen through electric vehicles yeah. and everybody is jumping to electric vehicles, in the end, decarbonization might happen, but the transport might become dependent on something else. Yeah. And, and, and that option, keeping that option open and, and looking for those options and opportunities, I think that's, that's important. Yeah. That creates the innovative ideas that supports all these uh, innovation to to happen and 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 bring new technologies into the stream and uh, it creates new dynamics. So yeah. disruptive technologies might come, which okay. are still not yet there. But yeah, there might be new new disruptive technologies coming. That's all right, of course. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much for for joining um, uh, this podcast today. Uh, I do hope. It's going to be very, very useful resource to other people researching in currently on uh, global energy issues uh, anywhere. Um, I really appreciate your time uh, for joining and wish you all the best in your new role, new university, new environments, new challenge, new people. 
a new culture, maybe. <laughs> yeah, new culture. Yeah, that's right. Everything is new. Yeah, everything yeah, is yeah. new. And of course, new mm. everything in the post-pandemic situation. Mm. So mm. I do hope we, 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 we will keep in touch. So uh, yeah. uh, 